Hello and welcome to the SAP Experts Podcast. My name is Jonathan Fogarty and I am absolutely delighted to be hosting another episode. Today, we're going to talk about the concept of the great resignation. Is it real? Is it just a new name for an old phenomena? What should I do to prepare or have I already missed the boat? Joining me to help demystify what it all means are two fascinating souls, both working in the intersection of human capital and technology. Michael Esau, a global HR advisor who has spent the last 20 years helping individuals and organizations be the best they could be every day, and co-host of the Human Factor podcast, looking at topics and themes influencing the world of work today. And also joining me, the delightful Hannah Breyer, a customer engagement executive by day, helping drive customer success throughout their cloud transformation, and in her spare time, host of the Let's Grow podcast, where she provides reassurance while you navigate your way through your life and career. Welcome, Michael and Hannah. How are you guys? Hello. Very well, thank you. Yeah, hey, Jonathan. Good. Thank you for having us. An absolute privilege. An absolute privilege. Guys, before we kick off, I always like to find out a little bit about my guests, maybe peel back the onion a little bit. Who wants to go first? Hannah, tell us something about yourself that maybe people should know. Oh, should know. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of something interesting now. I, uh, well, one of the things you said, so in my spare time, I also, I do my podcast, which is probably one of my top passions. Um, I really enjoy doing that. I also, um, it's going to sound really boring, but I really enjoy sports in my spare time. And since working from home, if I can squeeze in a run, as everyone knows, um, or swim or something, that's what I do. Those are my new hobbies. I love it. I love every bit about it. Well, Michael, where do you go from there? We've painted you into a corner already, I fear. Yeah, well, there's nothing boring about sports, so that's cool. Um, well, a, a few things about me. Um, I'm a born and bred Welshman. Uh, I still speak my local language, which is great. Um, I'm a father of twin girls, which I'd like to say is an absolute delight, but it, it is. <laughs> and, and I think also, Jonathan, you know, relating back to the podcast and everything, I'm a bit of a lifelong learner, so I'm quite curious. And um, and actually, that's what actually gives me quite a bit of a buzz because we we live in a, in a changing world. I don't think there's a manual for what comes next, but that's quite exciting. So oh. um, enjoy the debate. All right, the inquiring minds have been ignited then already. So Hannah and Michael, I love that. Well, let's let's jump in. I, I, I've got to admit, I feel very nervous when I see social and workplace trends being mentioned in every second article or every influencer's YouTube channel, and nothing seems to have been more prevalent in the last few months than this term, the great resignation. I guess I would ask firstly, what does it really mean? Is it really real? And is there a TikTok dance for it? Who wants to take that one? Is Michael, had your hand up first. Yeah, is there a TikTok dance? There should be, shouldn't there? Uh, probably be the hokey cokey. In, in, out, in, out. Um, listen, is it real? <sighs> There's so much debate. I think what's clear, and I'm quite glad that this debate is actually happening because what it's starting to do is force organizations to wake up to the realization that culture, that engagement, that workplace experience, is really, really important. So I think as people over the last three, four, five years have taken that step back and the pandemic has really shined a light on this, um, do I enjoy working where I'm working? Yes or no? 
And I think it's become pretty binary. So I know we're going to go into this in a little bit more detail. and I want to get to Hannah's viewpoint on this also. But do I think it's real? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think it's going to get magnified even more so in the next decade? Yes, absolutely. Well, Hannah, uh, over to you. You know, Michael's taken a position. Uh, are you seeing it? <laughs> How do you describe it? Is it just a social phenomena? Is it is it hype? Or, or is it actually organisationally something that is starting to affect and transform organisations and, and starting to affect the way people think about work in your view? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that it is definitely real. So, yeah, let's get that clear. I think that yeah, as Michael was saying, that <clears throat> this two years or so, maybe over two years, that we've we've been at home now, working from home, it's really it's allowed people to have that time to really reflect and be like, you know, is this is this the company that that I want to work for? It's also allowed them to kind of look, I guess, within themselves and, you know, is this something that I want to continue to do? So yeah, I think that, you know, we've all got LinkedIn accounts we can see just how many people are are moving around. Um, And I think that also we need to remember in the pandemic, things, you know, most likely have happened to people's families as well. And I think that people have also got the view that life's too short and they might have been thinking about making the move anyway. So it's kind of pushed them in the direction to to make that that change. But it's certainly real. And I think it's going to get not not worse, but it's going to it's going to continue. I like it. Okay, so it's not the Loch Ness monster; it's a real phenomenon, Michael. I guess if we accept the premise that it's genuine um, and mobility, you know, is occurring in all sorts of industries, can you give me an idea of which industries perhaps are more impacted from your point of view? What you're seeing, and and what sort of numbers and real term figures that are really occurring in your view when you look at the the world of work? Okay, I think. I think you. I think you can look at the data for face value, and, and, but I think you also still need to look at what's driving it. So, if you look at North America in November of last year, four point four million people changed jobs. That's a staggering amount, right? It's an enormous number. Um, and I think you know, as Hannah was rightly saying, you know, you look on LinkedIn and you look in the the press, etc. I think there's movement across the piece. I don't think it's one industry necessarily. I I, I think there'll be certain industries where there's quite a strong front line and, and, and maybe, maybe it's a little bit more stable. Maybe people's conditions are slightly different in terms of whether they feel they can move or not move. So choice comes into play. But, but, but Jonathan, for me, I think where we need to spend the time is to actually understand and analyze why is this real? What actually has driven this? Um, and then actually, how do we prevent it? Because it, 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 surely that's got to be the focus, right? Is what do we do about it? And if, if I can be humoured for just a couple of minutes, because we've been talking about this a lot on our podcast, and we're talking to guests to understand what actually is driving this. And, and the danger is, is that you just go, well, the pandemic, right? The pandemic has actually done this, and that's, that's where this is where the lie is. Go back to the when digital really kicked in, and go back to when consumerization really kicked in. What did it do? It actually brought into play our preferences, our expectations, and our values. So not just our DNA in terms of when I come to work, I need X, Y, Z to happen. It brought other things into play. So all of a sudden now it comes into, well, I've got expectations and preferences around this thing called an experience as a consumer and as a colleague. And I expect certain things to happen. 
So there are pinch points happening in terms of that consumer side and in terms of that employer side. And, and actually, when you analyze it, it comes down to what was that experience like? And it becomes an emotion. It becomes a feeling. Is that what I expected to happen? You know, being a consumer or being a colleague. And I think what people have started to do is to go, right, is that what I expected? Did that experience feel good? Does it feel good? Culturally, does it feel good? Does that feel like the, an organization that represents my values? No, it doesn't. So guess what? I'm going to move. And I think because of the changing demographic as well, is more inclined to be mobile, then this itchy feet syndrome, as I call it, is, is kicking into play in quite a big way. So I think understanding it is going to be really crucial because otherwise, how do we prevent it? It's a good answer and, and <clears throat> for organisations. And Hannah, I'll bring you in. I mean, I always had the concept that the labour market, there's always more people looking for jobs than there are jobs available. Although I get the sense from what Michael's saying, and, and this he talked about employed uh, mobility and itchy feet, um, you know, people leaving for whatever reason, it sounds like it's actually something that's going to be expensive for organisations. It's going to be detrimental for productivity, culture and morale. Is that sort of bear out to what you're saying, that 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 unease, that itchy feet, the opportunity to go and try something new for the organisation that maybe doesn't deal with it is, is going to be quite detrimental and is a real risk for them? Yeah, I think um, it's it's a big one because I think it's so leading on from what Michael was saying. It's it's so important for companies to make where they work that space to make them feel like they belong there, basically, and they've actually got an impact on what they're doing. And, and the key word that Michael was saying, which was that that person's or that employee's values, if you start to see where you work and you think that that's not aligned to how I how I think or how I want to do my work, straight away, you're not going to feel motivated to, to do your work. And that's, you know, that's okay in the sense that you can make that change but for the company they they need to start and realize this they need to kind of hone in on how can we actually make our employees not feel like they're just logging on and you know typing away and actually feel like they're making a difference and i feel sorry for <laughs> for chros and uh, for ceos and all, all of those types of people because it's a very hard job to do, which sounds really silly to say, because of course it is. But in terms of looking after all of these employees, we're all different. So how can you actually, you know, make make sure that you're making everybody motivated and making sure their productivity's up? But I think there are some key kind of things that you can do um, to enable employees feel like they are making a difference, um, basically. Um, but it's very hard. It's a hard thing to do, especially when you've got you know over. X amount of employees that, that work somewhere. Uh, Michael, I'll drag you in. I mean, gosh, the job of the CHRO is hard. Is probably not a bombshell, but but are they getting it? You wanted to add something onto that thought of Hannah's, didn't you? Yeah, I, I absolutely did. And, and 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 again, I think this it's this tension, as you were mentioning there, Hannah. Right, and 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 actually, that's that's why this isn't soft and fluffy stuff. And I get quite annoyed at that. I'm going to be really honest. This is real. This is really real. And, and Anna, you're spot on, right? If you're a CHRO today or a HRD, but also if you're a board 
right? If you're a board of directors and you're leading an organization, this isn't just a HR concern anymore. It, it really isn't. This is a business concern. There, there, is this, there is this absolute tension of what does the workforce now want and expect and, and have a preference for, and then how do you align that to the fact that the business has to execute? Right, the business is still got to run, so you got to marry this workforce proposition up to the strategy. But as you rightly said, there, Hannah, when when the values start to hit up against what the organisation is actually doing or what the reality is like, then people are just going to be, be be faced with this choice of: Do I want to work here or or not? And and Jonathan, you made a really interesting point in the question: Is this is this turning into something which is detrimental to the business? Yes, absolutely. Which is why we're hearing for the first time the word sustainability and talent and pipeline coming into the conversation. Do you have a sustainable pipeline of talent? And that's where the big challenge is coming, Jonathan, because uh, customers are telling me that they're struggling to recruit. So organizations that previously had waiting lists inundated with applications, now they may still get the applications, but is the quality there that they need? No. That's a problem. And I'd love to challenge that assertion, Michael. What you said is really interesting because certainly in the country that I'm based in, Australia, you know, international uh, migration, international labor importing is, is a thing of the past for the moment anyway. So our talent pool, our... Our available candidates, to your point, is is probably diminished, and it's probably we don't have the international students. We don't have the workforce mobility across countries at the moment. Surely, it's a pendulum swing, and as countries open up more, and the, and and people can get that mobility back and mobility of career and geography, it, surely the pendulum will just swing in the other way again, or not? If you look at the demographics, so I always refer to a TED talk that Boston Consulting Group did on the 2030 workforce crisis using factual demographic data. We have an aging workforce and the amount of people coming into the workforce to replace that, uh, th that, that sort of peak, if you like, it's not the same number, right? There is gonna be a gap. Now, obviously the advent of technology and automation is gonna replace some of that, but it won't replace all of it. So therefore, to your question, is there a pendulum swing? No. The other issue you have is that the new generation is way, way, way more mobile. And they cover that in their research. So I think when they looked at France, for example, in terms of university leavers, in terms of where they wanted to work, upwards of 80% said outside of France. They wanted to go and work in America. They wanted to go and work in other countries. So all of a sudden then you're looking at that going, uh, we have an issue here because <laughs> we may not have the talent in our areas that we need to support our organizations. So all of a sudden, you're going to have to now be really super, super creative in terms of why your organization, what is your proposition, why do I want to join you, and if I do join you, how are you going to retain me? Mm. In two years' time, three years' time, four years' time, why do I want to stay with you versus going somewhere else? Yeah, I get it. So, Hannah, let's flip the, the script a little bit. So we're hearing a diminishing talent pool, ageing workforce, technology allowing 
greater versatility of location and work style and all those sorts of things. So all those challenges that Michael and you have captured from the CHRO's desk and the organisational point of view, to flip that on its head, surely for the employee, there's a real incredible opportunity here for the employees out there to change the way they think about work, change the role that they do. And just, you know, this is this is a lifestyle. This is a this is an incredible pivot point, surely, for employees or, or am I overstating? I think it is, yeah. I think it is. I think that we're, um, you know, years ago, I mean, when I wasn't working, but I think if you look back, I don't, I don't think we're having, people don't work for the same company forever anymore. I mean, maybe some people do and that's completely fine. There's no right or wrong, but I think if you bear that in mind, there's a massive change there. So, you know, we're like the younger generation say it's, yeah, people don't do that anymore. So, so now because of this kind of moment in time where people have had the time to think about what they want to do, it's, yeah, it's a great opportunity because you can actually almost think outside the box. Like I think I work from home now, as we all do, if you, and I speak to kind of friends and colleagues as well, but if you're always going into the office, you're kind of on this autopilot, you know, you, you don't have that time to really think and reflect. You kind of get home, you go to bed or whatever. So I think this this time is, it's allowed people to have a really deep think about it. And yeah, it's a great opportunity because otherwise you wouldn't have, you might not have realised that you had a certain skill. Like me, for example, with, with the podcast, never in a million years did I think that I'd do a podcast. I didn't, you know, it was something that I, I didn't think um, that I would do. So yeah, I think that it's it's a good time. It, it's for people to actually change what they want to do, basically, um, and, and make a make a change. Yeah. But Michael, but I, look, maybe it's my ape brain or or my, you know, my Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, arts degree that's screaming somewhere in, in my background. But is there a certain safety for people? you know, having tenure, being entrenched in an organisation. You know, we hear a lot about too many people trying to juggle multiple roles, the gig economy, without the protections of superannuation or whatever it's called, obviously, in different countries and health insurance. And, you know, there is a safety blanket there that a lot of us older folk uh, might have trouble, you know, stepping out of or emerging from our man caves of, of security and serenity, surely. You, you raise a great point. So we're not, I think this, why this debate is, is so important is because some people will be listening going, I don't agree with this. And that's okay, right? Because this is a theme, it, it, it's a topic. And there will be a high degree of, of people in the population who will do exactly what you described, right? That the safety is important, the tenure is important, the protection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely, 100%. But, but but you then have to still look at, but what about the people in the population where that doesn't apply? That isn't the same concern. Their view of the world isn't the same. So, you know, buying a house, having a mortgage, having the stability, having that path, is that how people will map it out? No. One of our guests on the podcast made a very, very good point. If you go back to the financial crash of 2008, you look at the financial crash that came through the pandemic, because it was, Right. A, the, the younger population have had two significant financial crashes in their lives. So do you believe that their priorities will be anchored around wealth and all of these things? Probably not. 
Probably not. So it'll be a very different view, right? It'll be different outlook, different preferences. And so I think choice was a really interesting word. I think that is a really interesting word because that hits the nail on the head. What do we want as consumers? Choice. We want choice. So our loyalty as consumers has come into question. So all of a sudden, I want choice as an employee. So is my loyalty then going to come into question at some point? Possibly, because that's just the way it is. So I'm really interested to see what happens with the four-day working week, for example. I, 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 again, I, I met a HRD, I think, about 18 months ago. She had a very senior strategic HR role. She was looking to hire and fill. Out of the 10 applicants, eight only wanted to work four days. And she said, it's a five-day role. It's probably a six-day role. But I said, here we are. This is where we are, right? This is where people's choice and preferences are starting to kick in. And all, all, all the, of those candidates, they, they wanted to do other things with their, their, their time, you know? And, and I spoke with a partner last week who's currently working across three organizations. He's self-employed but he's associated now to three different organizations across his working week. So let's get our eyes open to the fact that how work will be structured will come down to personal choice, no doubt. I love it. Well, and let's, and you touched on it before, and Hannah, also you sort of foreshadowed a little bit about personal choice and, and diversity and inclusion. I'd like to kind of explore that theme a little bit, if I may. I mean, corporates are being more proactive in, in my sense, but you guys could challenge that around their responsibilities around some of those broader themes around diversity, inclusion, sustainability. Hannah, to you firstly, is, is this something that candidates consider when looking for their next big thing or is it paycheck, role, ability to work remotely that drives them or is that, you know, that bigger corporate um, ethos part of the decision-making either to stay or to go? Mm. <clears throat> I think that... Um I think it's it's becoming more so, I mean, pay, I think is, it's important, of course, we all need to kind of, you know, um, I definitely work to live, if I can say that and be honest. So yeah, it, that's of some importance. But I think it's really starting to come down to, especially I'm 29 and, and my friends who are around about the same age, I've noticed in the past I'm going to say a couple of years, <laughs> um, that people have really started to, to think about, yeah, more things around like the companies that they're working for. What are their core values when it comes to diversity and inclusion? You know, whatever that may be, that could be a whole long list of things. But I really think that um, friends that have gone on to other companies, when they've gone and, and interviewed and looked elsewhere, the, the, the feedback that I've had back from them, it hasn't been about pay. They haven't spoken about that. I mean, maybe you wouldn't talk about that with friends, but they've more been focused on, you know, the, the environment, the culture, how they felt when they walked in, in the place and the questions that they were asking was more focused on that. And also going back to the point of the, the flexibility and kind of the future and how it's all going, you know, it's, I find it really interesting that people of my age would go and challenge an employer to say, as you were saying, Michael, oh no, I'm, you know, maybe doing a four day week or I want to work from home on this day. Like to me, that's, it's crazy. Cause when I started as an intern, I mean, obviously our internships are different, but I don't think that was really a thing then. And that was a good few years ago now. So I think it's, um, 
yeah, it's, it, it fascinates me. And I think that, as you were saying, Michael, it's going to get the, the employee is they're going to have a lot more power and the employer has to really understand that because it's the competition just going to go wild basically <laughs> well thank hannah and before i bring michael and thanks for the age check as well i've got some ties in my cupboard that are older than 29 years of age but, but that's probably a whole nother podcast of fashion disasters um michael to you on let's expand this theory or this conversation what's the benefit either to the bottom line for companies that actively you know not just promote but deliver on these issues whether it is workplace diversity, whether it's sustainability, inclusion, you know, surely you're talking to the high end of the corporate structure. Do they recognise it? Is it lip service? Does it, can they quantify what it means if they get it right or get it wrong? I think, um, I think they'll be, listen, it, it, as always in the world, there'll be lip service to some. But I think in the main, I, I think there's a growing, growing realisation uh, of the importance of being an organization that's progressive and a force for good, right? I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think the concept of giving back, paying it forward, I think matters deeply now. So it brings into what we discussed earlier about values. So as a consumer, do you want to associate, associate yourself with an organization that is environmentally responsible, is socially responsible, is supporting the communities that they, uh, they work and and support, yes, absolutely, because it matters. It really does. I think people have got a very um, open mind now about the fact that the world we live in is facing severe challenges. There's no ifs or buts about that. So do I want to associate with an organization that cares about that? Yes, I do. Do I want to work for an organization that cares and demonstrates that it cares? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I don't think there's any ifs or buts about that. I think to Hannah's point, you know, again, looking at that population of is pay the number one driver? Going back to that research that I referenced, no, it was eighth. It was eighth on the list, right? So, so yes, it's important because you need it to pay a mortgage or rent and to live, of course, et cetera. But is that the single most focused driver now? For some, maybe. For others, for others, no. So to answer your question, what's the impact from a bottom line? It's significant. It's massively significant, right? Because if you're an organization that was employing 30,000 people, 50,000 people, you know, that costs a lot of money, right? It's a massive investment. So do you want to be an organization that, you know, is committed? It, it focuses on these matters and issues. It is committed to an organization that's diverse. It's inclusive, equal opportunities galore. It's, re it's reflecting the communities that they serve. Do I want to see that? Do organ you know, yeah, absolutely. And the organizations I think that do that really well, they get a major return in terms of uh, a commitment and engagement um, uh, and, and organizations where people want to, want, want to be their best. And does that then multiply in terms of the customers that they serve? Of course it does. Absolutely. Because the customer gets that. The customer feels it. So, they, so I think that striving for win-win I think is now abundantly clear, abundantly clear in my, in my opinion. But, you know, is there a long way to go? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, to Hannah's point, there's this fine line now where the tension is. And, I, and, and you know, I was talking to a good friend who's a chief people officer, and she said, this manual of how we come over this line has not been written. We've got to work it out 
and everybody's trying to work out what that is. So, yeah, the bottom line, I hate the term, but it's true. Hard to ignore, isn't it? Absolutely. Hard to ignore. Of course it's hard to ignore. Hard to ignore. Hannah, then, as, you know, as we sort of start heading towards the exits a little bit, it's been a fascinating conversation. In your, you know, in your mm-hmm. podcast, and, and we talked about it at the top, you, you're trying to talk to people who understand how to navigate the different aspects of their work life and their professional kind of conscience with, with their personal passions, projects, whatever they might be. Um, is that what the new world of work and new balance looks like? And can you give me maybe some examples of where you've met some people or some some great examples of where people have managed to kind of exist comfortably between this chasm of, of, of passion project and, and, and their professional life and maybe give us some inspiration from the people you've met? Yeah, sure. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I've interviewed, well, I'd say all my guests, uh, I say it about everyone, but they've all been really, really interesting. But it was actually on the, the latest episode, um, we were discussing this, we were saying that it's it's very, it kind of runs, the thread kind of runs through the whole series of, of the podcast, but it's very difficult, I think, to um, to kind of have these have these corporate jobs and have this, you know, this work-life balance, like you say, like, how can you, how can you have your passions outside of work and things like that? I think that it's some of the advice that we've got, or I've got from the guests is that you, it sounds really silly, but you you just need to make, make that time. And because of this past two years, and I'm going to bring that up again, but because of the past two years, it's, it's allowed us to actually to do that. So me as an example, and I'll say this openly, I think before the pandemic, I used to be glued to my laptop. So I used to be very, you know, waiting for it to ping off. That's not healthy. That's not normal. <laughs> That's not, it's it's impossible for organizations to, to think that we work like that because we're not going to be productive. We're going to burn out. So I think that um, a lot of the advice coming off a few of the episodes is that, you know, take that time for yourself. And that sounds like a really simple thing to say, but do small things that make you happy. That could be anything, you know, it could be a hobby. It could be you wanting to start a small business, anything like that. Um, you know, if you do want to stay within, you know, and balance your your corporate life as well as as kind of having different things outside of work, just remember that you, and this is a, a personal opinion, remember that you're not a robot. And I think if anything, that the pandemic has taught us that, um, you know, and use, uh, this is a really sim- simple thing to say, but I was speaking about it with a friend the other day, our lunch breaks now we're working from home, you know, use that time, go for a walk, go do whatever you want to do gardening. I don't know. Um, because I think people forget when we were in the office, we used to go down and have a coffee, you know, the amount of times you go and talk to other people. So I think people, I certainly had this, you become too, too hard on yourself and you feel like you have to really sit there and, and, you know, work like a machine, but um, it is possible to, to have that balance. Um, it's about making the time to, to do so. And organizations, they need to realize this as well. You know, they, they do have a responsibility to allow us to, to have, allow us to have that time to be, be flexible, you know, and, um, and not and remember that you know we as long we are going to produce the work and as long as we produce the work on time, um, then I think that's all that matters. Well, I like it, Michael. You know, I'll bring you in there. You know, if, on on sort of the challenge that Hannah's laid down. If I am a HR director or CHRO or you know whatever role it is that has a component of managing employees and satisfaction, development, retention, whatever it might be, 
what are some of the practical, actionable steps that they can take to make sure the workforce aren't about to vote with their feet, you know, if they haven't already? Yeah, I, I think there's three things. I'll split into three things. I think the, fir- the first is, as we move forward, do you have an employee value proposition that reflects who your organization is? Does that speak to the people who you hope are going to come and work for you and you can attract them? I think that is fundamental. If you haven't started to relook at that, then relook at it. The second then is, can you execute it? Can you deliver on what that proposition is, right? That, now, that's not just a, a technological, that is an experiential. So the role of the leader, for me, is going to make or break many an experience in the coming years. And I think it's a big challenge for leaders because it's much more, the, the, the demands of a leader have, have just gone exponential, right? Because of what's happened through the last couple of years, the, the, the need to be sensory, the need to be more empathetic, the need to be able to connect and reach that's that's really expanding the set. So can you can you deliver on that proposition? And let's not underestimate if you don't have the, the capability, the technological capability, then the hygiene element of the experience will break. So that's number that's number two. And then the last one, data is king. So if you if you are an organization, you're HRD today, and you don't have your finger on the pulse. And you can't understand what's going in, in your going on in your organization. That's an issue because it's such. I call it a fast-moving target. It's so now brittle every day. You know your climate, your engagement, what it feels like. It just it just goes like up and down. So you need to be using data. You need to be using analytics to have your finger on the pulse, making sense of what's going on, and being able to make good, smart decisions. So I think there's that three parts for me in terms of how the future looks. Those are those are sort of the practical tips that I would be giving. I like it. Thank you for that. And that is actionable and sensible. And 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 I love the way you've structured it, Michael. Thank you. Maybe last sort of wrap up question to to you each. Hannah, maybe I'll go with you first. I mean, you seem uh, for those that know you'd have found a nice balance between corporate career, helping customers succeed with technology, and then a passion project. That seems to be fulfilling, you know, your emotional and intellectual needs. Is that on the employee? Do you think to find that personal and perfect mix for professional fulfilment, or do you think the organisations have a role in supporting their workforce outside of their nine to five occupation? Oh yeah, I think I might have um, touched on this a moment ago as well. But um, I, I do. I think organisations have a, have a role in this as well, and it goes back to everything that that Michael and well, we've all been saying on this podcast, which is, it all goes back to you, the environment that you're in. I sound like a broken record here, but if the, <laughs> if the environment that, that one is in is positive and, you know, the, their motivation's up and their productivity's up and all that, and they feel like they belong and they don't just feel like a cog that's just making this organization, you know, go round, um, then, you know, they're going to feel, they're going to feel like they, they belong there. And I think organizations, if if they're if they're allowing somebody to feel that positive and motivated, then that therefore allows that person to to you know finish that working day and feel like they've they've done a good job today. Then they're going to go off and perhaps do like me, for example, another hobby outside of work. But if they're feeling stressed and they're not feel they're like shut the laptop and they're feeling like they don't feel like they're um, what's the word I'm looking for? Are you they don't feel like they're fulfilled, fulfilled, nourished. Valued. 
Thank you. Nourish is a good one. Um, then they're going to be, you know, they're not going to feel motivated to do anything. They're probably going to sit and watch TV and then they're not going to do anything outside of their, outside of their organization. So yeah, organizations have a big part to play because work takes up a hell of a lot of our time and our life. So yeah, they, they need to, uh, they need to keep us happy. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. Hannah Breyer on fire today. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> uh, Michael, maybe then finally to you, my friend. Um, you know, the way we work in 2022 and beyond has changed for good. I think we, we're hearing that loud and clear. How do large organisations who might not have been agile with their HR processes and policies in the past pivot to adapt or have they missed it and it's over? Is there still time? What can they do? No, this is never over. I mean, we're constantly in a, in a state of reimagination, aren't we? I, I, I think linking to something Hannah just said, that I, and I loved it, that, that whole thing about the end of the day, do I go home or do I switch off or do I feel fulfilled, is crucial. That, that's the crucial, crucial thing. At the end of every process is a human being. So it cannot be just about the process. It's got to be about that human being at the end of it, what is it you're asking them to do, right? What's the outcome that means something to that individual? So I think that's where we're going to hopefully see a a great shift in two ways for me. So one, yeah, really think about how do you adapt and simplify your processes to drive the outcomes that are meaningful for the organization and they're meaningful for the individual, because if they're not meaningful for the individual, you have a problem. The second bit goes back to Jonathan, you said earlier on about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We're going to see people put so much more effort into culture. Now, one of the takeaways for us over the last 12 months of doing the Human Factor podcast, the basic fundamentals really do matter. So immersed in all of this work is you've got to get back to tapping into What do human beings need to be successful at work? As one guest said, clarity is a superpower. You can do nothing without clarity. The second major thing then, which another guest said to us, is the power of feedback. It's crucial to the culture. It's crucial to somebody knowing how well have I done, where can I improve, and how can I grow? And the absence of feedback for me to your point, Hannah, is having a massive detrimental effect on the end of the day when I close my laptop and go, how was that day? Mm. Was it okay or was it not? How do I feel? And that's when the emotion then comes back into it. So I like the the use of the term adapt. Yeah, I think we've got to adapt a lot. We've got to simplify a lot. We've got to really think about what's the purpose of the process. We've got to think about the outcome linked to it. And what does it mean for the organization? And what does it mean for the individual? And then how do you bring it into that culture and really drip into it, that clarity as a superpower and the power of feedback? I love it. Well, just outstanding. Hannah, Michael, you've you've both provided us with hopefully great clarity for our audience that the, the great resignation is real, it's ongoing, it's ever-shifting, but the opportunity is there for organizations to learn, adapt, change, and thrive and for the employees and the individuals to empower, embolden, uh, and nourish, if I can steal Hannah's word, from before themselves. So I like that, and I I like the balance that we've found. Sadly, for our listeners, I'm sure, that's all we have time for on this episode of SAP Experts Podcast. What a fascinating insight 
into the challenges and opportunities of employee mobility and job satisfaction in the new world. If you'd like to hear more from my guests, you'll find Hannah both on LinkedIn and her podcast, the Let's Grow podcast on all the platforms, and Michael, the co-host of the enormously popular The Human Factor one as well. But for now, Hannah, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Good on you guys. Well, that's it. That's another episode of SAP Experts podcast in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it. Reach out to our wonderful guests if you'd like to learn more. But for now, I'm Jonathan Fogarty. It's been an absolute privilege bringing it to you. Until next time, stay well and be kind to each other. Farewell till next time. Goodbye.